0: Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartsman.
1: All right, I'm Michael Hartzman. Today is Tuesday, July 26, 2022. And as always, I'm on with my partner, Dominic Tavella, both from Long Island. How are you, Dom?
2: Uh, doing well, Mike. Good evening. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you. Um, everything's good. Things uh, Just just let's start with the market tonight. We we have Coach Ray Scott back uh, by popular demand, and he's, he's on the sidelines waiting, no pun intended. But uh, let's start with a little bit of a market update, Dom, as we always do. Um, Two weeks ago, we talked about the um, CPI. That came in a little hotter than expected. The market seemed to accept that. And really, things have been calm for the last two weeks. But I feel a little bit like it's the calm before the potential storm because we have two big items of news coming out this week. One will be the gross domestic product to see if we've gone – Um, into a recession, technically. And secondly, uh, the Fed will announce how far and how fast they're going to continue to raise interest rates. So I think right now the market's on pins and needles a little bit uh
2: yeah, right on as always mike so the the major indices were up last week they actually even with the friday's pullback um for the overall for the week the SP was up about two and a half percent and it's been a couple of weeks in a row uh i think clients are starting to feel a little bit better looking at their accounts but boy we got some major news coming this week starting with um you know a big majority of the S&P 500 companies are going to report their earnings and we're going to get a real good handle on how companies are doing in this environment but I think your your two points are even more important the GDP GDP data Uh, will give us a pretty good indication how well or not the economy is doing. And then all of it goes to out the window because the the GDP number is not going to matter if the Fed's interest rate tightening policy has a dramatic change, um, um, something that the market uh, may not be prepared for. So tomorrow is a big, big day. You
1: know, as we talked about this morning, Um, And then I saw Dr. Jeremy Siegel, who we always quote, came out with a note which kind of reiterated what we said. It seems like 75 basis point hike is the Goldilocks number. It seems if they only go 50, the Hawks will say they're not doing enough. And if they go 100 basis points, the Doves will say, well, wait a minute, they're slamming on the brakes too hard and they're going to throw this entire economy into a recession. So I think 75 basis points gets it done in terms of giving the market the Kool-Aid they're looking for.
2: Uh, uh, Mike, and uh, look, in total agreement again with you, um, but we have two camps out there, and both camps are really adamant that they're correct. And the one camp is that, um, you know what? The, the Federal Reserve is just going to screw this up again. Um, they didn't do a good job a year ago in predicting inflation. They're going to not do a good job again. And they'll over tighten and push us into a recession. Uh, and the other camp is, hey, uh, they'll notice that the economy has been slowing down. They'll notice that inflation has started to come down, look at price of energy and commodities and labor is starting to soften a little bit. Real estate is starting to soften a little bit and they'll do a better job of easing their interest rate policy. The million dollar question is we don't know, but one or other extreme reaction by the Fed is gonna upset the market, I think dramatically.
1: Right, keyword being extreme. And, And Dom, the other thing that's a little frustrating is if, if the gross domestic product is negative um, this week for, for the last quarter, you know, technically the way I and I'm not an economist, but I studied I, I, I study the economy. We both do. We read about it all the time. We talk about it all the time. And I was always told that two negative quarters of negative GDP means technically we're in a recession. And now all of a sudden. They're trying to tweak that. Now they say, well, that's the back of the napkin definition. It's not the true definition. I don't think Wall Street's going to buy that. I think if we have a negative number this week, for all intent and purposes, they're going to call it a recession. What do you think?
2: Uh, uh, Yeah, Mike, uh, there's a lot there. And uh, I'll try not to get wonky, but we've always said two negative quarters in a row, and that's a recession there isn't a formal government agency that defines exactly Mm -hmm. when we are or not, or actually, and you know, we've, we've joked about this. Everything is done in retrospect, right? So they tell us six months from now that we were in a recession, but not any longer. Um, And there is some cause for validity because the first quarter, we got a negative quarter, but a lot of that had to do with the wonkiness of trade deficits and not really having to do with domestic Growth and unemployment and, and corporate earnings and all of the the stuff that generally dictates that the economy is healthy. So it was the, the argument can be made that maybe the first quarter was kind of an outlier that wasn't really measuring economic growth here in the United States, at least measuring it very well. Um, but it seems wonky to me that the Biden administration is trying to interject. Before we even have the number, that the number doesn't really mean this is a recession. So, uh, I think most of us are expecting a pretty flat number, not not any significant growth. And I don't know that I'd be tremendously surprised if it was the number was negative. Um, but uh, either either side of break even, I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep.
1: Yeah, I saw I saw a report yesterday morning from uh, Doctor David Kelly. From J.P. Morgan and, and, and he thought it would be slightly above the line, maybe a half a percent above the line. Believe me, it's far from robust. Um, and, and I think at a certain point, you know, we may just shrug this whole thing off that that part of the story.
2: Yeah, look, uh, selfishly, I'd like it to be, I don't care if it's one penny above on the plus side, because it's the two consecutive quarters, right, that defines it as far as we are concerned. So it takes that stress off the table for a little while. But we're not dealing, and a lot of us remember, okay, 2020 was a little unusual because of COVID, but 2008 wasn't that far away where we had Banks that were uh, uh, dissolving in foreclosure. We had institutions closing down. Unemployment went through the roof. Foreclosures in homes, credit card default. Depo- That's a recession in my world, right? That's a horrific, um, uh, and we don't want to see that. And help to God, but we don't expect that. So, right, no what the number is this week? I think we'll be fine.
1: Right. Just to be clear, we don't have we don't have any of that right now. As a matter of fact, what's confusing is he is employment it's it's calming it's cooling off a little bit but the employment is still uh hot it's still good i mean people for the most part if they want a job they can get a job
2: and mike i hinted at it that you know we have a lot of companies reporting this week and again this is always looking backwards because we're looking at their sales and earnings and profits um but we've had some disappointments in that area but we've also had quite a few companies announce and beat their expected uh, earnings. So we're not in that really negative environment. And the key, though, is what does the Fed do? And do they push us over the cliff? Which I hope hopefully they don't.
1: Yeah, I, me too. Fingers crossed. So, Dom, as I said on the open, we have uh, Coach Ray Scott from the Detroit Pistons back with us tonight. We, we, he did a show with us about two, three weeks ago. We got a great response from it. A lot of of people loved hearing his stories from the 60s and 70s, and uh, we're going to ask him to fast forward tonight and get his insights um, on, you know, the state of sports in general, the state of salaries in general, and just how things have changed since his playing days
2: yeah the stories were great mike but uh, we are a financial services company and what's going on today in the sports arena all sports basketball baseball football the compensation is just unbelievable god bless the players if you can make it and somebody's willing to pay you for it i'm all for it but thinking of somebody like coach who went through a period where gosh you really earned it i'd love to hear his take on everything that's going on
1: me too. Can't wait. And we will be right back with Coach Ray Scott right after a quick break.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and
3: network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: Are you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard for my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. That's why I keep my cash in the Leventhal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-T-A-X. Le tax. Rates on cash are already so low. Why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn. It's what you keep. The Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor at dcmadvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800 441 7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice
3: America Business Network.
0: You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at Labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report.
1: All right, I'm Michael Hartzman. I'm back with Dominic Tavella and our guest this evening, Coach Ray Scott. Coach uh, recently a, wrote a book, "The NBA in Black and White," the memoir of a trailblazing NBA player and coach. Here it is, Coach. And thank you. Welcome back. We appreciate you making the time again this evening. Thank you. I am so honored
3: by not only you guys and you like becoming my new best friends. For not only you guys, but by your audience, that the audience would request uh, that I return. And so it, it keeps the pencil sharp. You know, it's funny that someone asked to do this. I mean, this is, I've never written a book. I've never uh, done, you know, multi-radio appearances unless it was for the Pistons or at university. But to be asked back on a show like this that imparts so much information, you guys are, you guys are great. Uh, and in the, last, in the last time that I was with you, you gave me three or four things to uh, say to people about finances. And they said, oh, I didn't know that you were. Well, <laughs> I, of course, I played it off. Yeah, well, I got a couple of guys in New York. You know? <laughs> there you <laughs> and go. Inside with finance. So uh, it, it's really, it, but it's really interesting. I love hearing what you guys have to say. It's really, really, really good stuff. Well, thank wow. you, Coach. Thank again, you, coach. Uh, you,
2: you're right. We did have quite a few requests if we could get you back and continue the conversation. So we're very much looking forward to doing that tonight. So thanks again for your time. Well, thank you, Dominic.
1: Thank you. Hey, hey coach, we want, we, we, you know, we do want to talk about the business of the NBA right now and sports in general. But one thing that I was really curious about, which I think is a good segue, you know, I looked at the team you won coach of the year with it's 74, 75 Pistons, I believe. Mm -hmm. You had two Hall of Famers on that team, Dave Bing and Bob Lanier, two of the all-time greats. Yes. If you were a coach today, would your your coaching style be different? Would you have to take a way different approach to coach two Hall of Famers on the same roster? Well, it depends on who those Hall of Famers
3: are. True. They follow – the uh pres- the precedents that were set by the group of people i came from i wouldn't have a problem i think the problem for me is if if i was a coach today i'd have to have a gun next to me so i could shoot myself when <laughs> the guys throw up one of those 35 foot three pointers and go back down the court acting like nothing happened and i'm like no that's not the way the game is played what has happened i believe in professional sports. Professional sports has been put in our living rooms. When we were kids growing up, professional sports were spectator sports. If you really saw the greats, knew the greats, watched the greats, you went to the game. You were a spectator, you were at the Garden, you were at Boston Garden, you were out on the island, you know, you were, you were seeing games. And so we went through that period and that era of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, where we became coast to coast. That was a dream come true for the NBA. One guy in Boston, one guy in LA, and all of the country in between. So you didn't miss any stops. So that period, just as it was a different period for players, it was a different period for coaches. So I came up in an era where, you know, you, you learn how to dribble with your right hand. You learn how to dribble with your left hand. You made your right hand a layup. You made your left hand a layup. You practice, practice, practice. And so we were just talking about it today. I was talking to Charlie Scott, and he said his son went to Ohio State, and the first thing his kids did when they went out on the court, they laced their shoes up. This is the, this is the guys, not the women, but the, they laced their shoes up, and the first thing place the guys go is where? Three-point line. Mm-hmm. And so that game is introduced into the minds of our kids and young people through television. Same thing with football. Guy now walks out on a football field. He grabs a football. Football. What's he want to do? He wants to throw it fifty yards, sixty yards. And I came from the auto ram era. You had to be accurate up to ten yards first down. Uh, you look at uh, what baseball when when uh, with Ty Cobb. You know, those guys base the base the base. They get the babe in the 20s, got to clear all the bases, run Mm -hmm. all the bases. He was the first guy. He hits 60, and he becomes an icon. So the games change, and so now it's up to now we're talking about guys hitting, you know, 60, 70, 80 home runs, and that means they're swinging, and they're talking about how their swings change and all of this stuff that I know nothing about playing baseball as a kid or playing stickball with, with, with you guys in Harlem or Manhattan. All of that has changed. Everything, in my opinion, is geared to television. It's geared to entertainment. And I think, I think, 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 the third gear is it's geared to women. What brings women into the game? Well, I've sat and watched games with my wife. I don't know if you guys have done the same. Wives love three point shots. Mm-hmm. They love to see the guy dunk the ball. We, from the old days, we like to see the down screens and the guy shooting a 15 footer and getting a drive to the basket, or Kareem turning with a sky hook, or Will giving a finger roll, or Nate Thurman blocking a shot, or uh, Bill Russell starting the fast break. That was our game. This is not our game, fellas. But that Coach, I.
2: I, I You brought up Magic and Larry and maybe the word team player. I mean, talk about two guys that just defined the team player and putting the team ahead of their own personal stats and trying to get the team to win. I don't want to make generalities, but that doesn't seem like it's quite as uh, the same today.
3: Well, it doesn't seem so, Dominic, because of the guys taking such bad shots. You know, I, I mean, it isn't awful hard to work, to shoot the ball 25 feet from the basket. That's not a day's work. Uh, but to learn how to screen and have the timing and have the the style and the repertoire to come off of a screen and know whether to drive or to shoot a jump shot, that's learning to play. That's a different game of basketball. And that's why when you ask me about coaching, I couldn't do it. I, I, I simply would not even apply because that's not how I learned the game. That's That's not, when you talk about Bob Lanier, Bob Lanier is one of the greatest post players ever. Can you imagine me saying to Bob Lanier, Bob, I want you to go out to the top of the circle and set screens for my three-point shooters. Think of me saying that to Bob Lanier and what he would say to me. Or telling Dave Bing, who was one of the greatest penetrating guards in the history of basketball, saying, I don't want you to penetrate, Dave. Or if you get one foot from the basket, and it looks like you have this makeable layup. I want you to throw the ball out to the three-point guy, the guy standing at the three-point, because we get one more point if he makes that shot.
1: So just the conversations would not even be the same. But, you know, so Ray, the, do you I, think I, there's a cor- do you think there's a correlation between that and the fact that these players, many of them, are little mini conglomerates now, and you know they they're making. They're making so much money, which is great. I love the free enterprise. So does Dominic. So do you. We mm-hmm. talked about it in the past. But as the pendulum swung too far that, you know, these guys are so empowered that if they just want to throw it up from the three point line, whether you're seven foot one, you mm-hmm. know, like Luca or or a point guard, they're just going to do what they want to do. Yeah. The, pend-
3: the pendulum is always going to swing too far. Mm-hmm. That's That's a pendulum. If you look at the finances, think about the pendulum swinging the other way to the owners. Uh, My friends and I, we've had this conversation. Yes, the players are making money. What that says to me, if a guy can afford to pay me that kind of money, what must he be making? Right. (laughs) Is that ratio still four to one? You Mm -hmm. know, So imagine what the owners must have been making uh, at the time that we were coming through this process of basketball. So. When a guy like Oscar Robertson comes along and says, hey, guys, we got to sit down at the table and figure out how to slice and dice the money, how people are going to be compensated. So, you know, it all always comes. And we're young kids. Remember, we're 22, 23, 24 mm-hmm. years old. So we really don't know finances. We don't have guys around like you to come and help us and square us away and give us some education on how money is spent, what bills are paid, what's important. Uh, what What's the other thing they do in, in basketball? The, they said that they made money because the players were, uh, the, the value of the players as a term that I don't, I'm not recalling, but there was a terminology that they had, depreciate was the term. Mm-hmm. I never, what, what do you mean depreciate? I'm playing ball. I'm hoping my jumper goes in and you're talking about depreciation. <laughs> I know not where of you speak, my friend. So you start hearing those things. Well, we were as kids. What do we know? What's so, Coach? I, I hope
2: some of these young men uh, are calling you for advice, right? But what does it mean when a a twenty three year old gets a twenty five or fifty million dollar contract? What does that kind of money mean to that? And do they do they understand what does it mean? Do they getting good advice? What, what's your experience with some of the stuff going on?
3: Well, I was, uh, you know, I. I didn't know anything about getting $25,000 for 2 years. So you know, imagine a kid at 22 and now they're younger because of the way the league formulated itself. So at 18, 19, 20 sometimes a kid's getting 25, 50, 75 million. million. And he couldn't afford a hamburger last week. You know, so now if he doesn't have counseling and I and I and I encourage I I encourage kids and young people, when you have vast amounts of money, please get money managers, get people to help you because if you don't, what you will find is you can go through that money so fast you can be right back where you started. And that has happened in professional sports too. And so I think the importance of what's on a table is how we build that wall around that person, that 20, 18 to 22 year old kid. What, and what do we show him? How much it takes to live? You know, it's it's like a uh, Charlie Scott said to me, he said, you know what, Ray? Kids make so much money now they can't even spend it. You know, they <laughs> just, they
2: literally- have literally a- generational money. Yeah. Coach. I mean, you get literally to provide for their kids and their kids and their kids if properly handled.
3: Yeah. Oh, it could. Absolutely. But as we know, you know, when you go out and you buy eight or ten limousines and a helicopter and a boat and it, it those bills come every month. That's the nature of the business in the United States of America. They learned how to build consumerism in this country. And we always want the next best brightest bubble. And so it's gonna cost. But I mean, if any young guys hear me if within the sound of my voice, <clears throat> I want to encourage you. And that's why I love being around these gentlemen. I, 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 I'm really excited about it because the messages there are important for my guys, for my young guys. So if you can hear me, you know, call guys like, people like this that can just give you a voice or vision of how generational our income is, our wealth is, and the importance and what we should be purchasing and what we should be backing away from and what we should be investing in and what we should be hearing and what uh, should be our percentage of increase over a year. Should I be making 15 or 20% on this investment in a year? And monitoring those things. But if you don't do that, if we don't send those messages to our kids, we're really, I think,
1: missing out on a great new generation. You know, Coach, about 10 years ago, ESPN did a documentary called Broke. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you saw it. If you didn't, I recommend it. Every athlete that gets a professional contract should be forced to watch that documentary. I, I agree. I agree, I I mean, I'm emphatic about it
3: because, and that's what I love about the exposure, because of the exposure you're giving me relative to my book, because my book is about messages from a guy that came through a period of time and how I grew in that time. Well, I want you to be a bigger and better guy than me because you took the advice. You were smart enough to say, hey, this is what we should be doing, guys. And and people, when you're talking to young athletes, in my opinion, that should be the encouragement for the young athletes. And the first question is, shouldn't be, what was your average? Average. It should be, what are you doing with your money? How are you mm-hmm. doing your money? That's what I believe. And, and Dominic, it goes back to your point. You said "It's it's just money that's there and it's timing that's there but if no one speaks to them, they're just young kids with a lot of money.
2: And, and coach, I think the leagues have figured out that, that they need to provide some kind of help and some kind of counseling and some kind of advice, but it, we can debate how, how aggressively they're doing that. I mean, you get a young man in a room when he first gets drafted and they give him a one hour lecture on financial planning. Okay. I'm not sure that's the, the, the best approach, but at least they're trying. Yeah. Right.
3: Well, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I won't. One thing I learned is never speak for the league because it depends on what their options are. It depends on who their people are and it depends on whether the people want to buy in. See, it comes down to a buy in. To me, buy in is cultural buy in is not one guy shouting it from the rooftops. So one, you know, the owner, he's got his, You know, and then you think of the NBA. Great wealth didn't happen in the NBA until the guy was forced out with the Los Angeles Clippers for being uh, uh, overly racial. Mm -hmm. So he's forced out. He has to sell his team for $2 billion. Yeah. Force out? You know, (laughs)
2: man. We're we're talking about the players, but we haven't mentioned yet what these. uh, co- uh, these other well, companies, right? But yeah, these yeah. teams, these teams are being sold for. I don't want to hear you're losing money, right?
1: Yeah. And, it, the, and- guys, hold that thought because we are bumping up against a break. So we'll take a quick break with Coach Scott and we'll be right back right after this.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. When you're thinking about where to park your cash for
1: over thirty years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes?
2: Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing, but I've been in this business for a long time and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned
1: cash. Sorry, Dom, but the beauty of the fund is paying less taxes on cash. No, my friend, it's the potential for more income. Mm-mm. Less taxes.
2: More income. Less taxes. More income. Less for taxes,
4: your cash, ask your advisor mm-hmm. about the taxes, Labenthal Ultra income. Short Tax-Free Income Telling Fund. Less taxes or find globally. out more at dcmadvisors.com.
1: Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on, it's not what
4: you earn, it's what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-T-A-X. tax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities, the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC.
0: You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report.
1: So I'm Michael Hartzman, back with Dominic Tavella and Coach Scott. Coach, let me ask you a question. You know, you mentioned Oscar Robinson and the impact he had, which I'm glad you keep bringing that up because I don't think too many people know the impact he's had on the league Mm -hmm. and then the salary structure. When you guys got into the room with the owners back then, I mean, were you guys seriously talking about work stoppages? Were you just looking for fairness? Were you you ready to play hardball? You know, what was it like then – you know compared to what it might be like now where these guys do play hardball and they don't think twice about striking well that's a great question
3: Michael because we didn't want to think about uh, striking because of our it was our support for our families you know what we were doing but when we went into that room and I remember uh Oscar rehearsed <clears throat> with our council our council was not allowed in the meeting so that was a you know setback for us I mean we're thinking that Larry Fleisch is going to go in and really speak to the owners and the things that you're talking about in in, in a very eloquent way. But Oscar really studied at how and what you wanted to talk to owners about. And he was doing it through the union school. Uh, not Not so much the association and not so much, I want to say, sociological. It was more through the concepts concepts of union fair play and building your case. And he did such an excellent job that he was congratulated by those owners. Um, but we knew that the owners sitting across from us, while some were very wealthy men, <clears throat> but some were promoters. I speak of Ben Kerner, Eddie Gottlieb. Uh, ben Kerner was the, uh, general manager of the St. Louis Hawks. Eddie Gottlieb had the uh, 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 Philadelphia Warriors. And so these were very bright guys in terms of promotion. They were promoters. But also there was a, a guy named Sam Schulman who owned the Seattle Supersonics. And there was a guy by the name of Jack Kent Cook. And there was another wealthy owner, i missing right now, uh, but also Mr. Fred Zahler, who was the owner of the Detroit Pistons, So you, you could tell, you know, who had employees and listened to their employees and may have had unions, and you could tell <clears throat> who had employees that were just that. They were employees in, in terms of title employees. And when Jack Kent Cooke, said to Eddie Gottlieb, this is one of the finest presentations I've heard. I just said to myself, because I was behind Oscar, Mm -hmm. I was just a note passer. And Mm -hmm. I said, we got him. We got him. Because that rang true of all of the guys in the room, that we had not embarrassed ourselves, but really, in a proficient way, spoke to what the league, I think, was concerned about, and could see coming down the railway, and I, re, I I remember thinking to myself how great that presentation was by Oscar. So much so that by 1970, from '66 until '70, we were a certified union. We we became the NBA Players Association. I think at first we were union, then we became uh, we ought, we kind of became an association over time. <clears throat> but I just remember feeling the appreciation of who we were as, as hired hands. And I was a young kid. I'm 26 years old or 20, whatever, whatever I was. And sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, how many young guys in sports get to this level this, this fast, this quickly? Because that was uh, the league started, I think, flourishing in '50 with George Mikan, and then you had Wilt Russell, Chamberlain, uh, Baylor. So you flourish through your players, because that's who the people want to see. They don't want to go see an owner have a Coke. You know, they're there <laughs> to see a player play. And I think as those guys, those millionaires, really recognized that, I think they pulled Oscar. And the association into the circle of negotiation, and that was that was a major point. The 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 uh, piece in the seventies where we had the Julius Irving, uh, Doctor J era ABA NBA stuff that was good, but we still didn't. We hadn't made an impact to where people wanted to see us on the TV. You know, it, it wasn't looked at we were not looked at as something that would bring capital into their era.
2: It sounds, Coach, like you were looking for more of a partnership relationship instead of an adversarial relationship that would benefit for the greater good, right? Yes. The value of the teams from the owner's perspective, revenue, additional well-earned revenue to the players that were the show. That's what people were paying to see, right? So by creating more of a partnership Um, it it was for the greater good.
3: And that was Oscar and his brilliance that saw that. And that's why we were certified in 1970. But in the late 70s, when you got Magic and Bird, we've all talked about this at infinitum. One guy on the West Coast, Magic Johnson. Showtime. We talked about it earlier. Because it's a show. And then you had the Birdman up in Boston. And you had these two factions going against each other and in my opinion, that's what brought out what Oscar had hoped for, and it seemed to me that's when the
1: NBA became the NBA. Coach, let me let me let me ask you this. And again, you you and I didn't talk about this previously, so if you don't want to jump into this topic, then it's it's fine. I apologize. What's your opinion with the NCAA with even younger men? With the NIL, the name, image, and license, and these very young men and women now, and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with it financially. You know, what we do for a living, we're all for, for free enterprise. Mm-hmm. But how do you look at the way even college athletes athletics is changing where where these athletes are now able to license themselves yes. and make and they should be able to make money off of their own image, yes. in my opinion. Yeah. I, I
3: think, we, but we don't want to take something that is good and make it bad by having it being confused. Mm-hmm. I think we're, in my opinion, I think we're too far into confusion. You see, I, I, I would never let a program like that go forward without having it nailed down. To put it out there and kind of piecemeal it, I think you weaken something that could be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope it doesn't get there. I hope they strengthen it before it becomes weakened. But again, when if I may make a comparison, when you compare that to what David Stern did with the NBA, remember after Bird and after Johnson, who came along? Michael Jordan. Perfect way to bring in someone to buy into what it is you're doing and who's that guy? You guys, his stocks do well. Phil Knight. Mm-hmm. Nike. Nike. Came. Now remember before that it was Converse and, and Adidas. It was Adidas. Yeah. Cause I wore the Adidas so, <laughs> and, and the Pumas. Remember Puma was going oh, good yeah. in New York. Remember it well. So I still that, have my Clydes. See, there you go. I, wore, <laughs> I had them too. Cause, Cause I thought those red shoes were cool. But, um, so when I when I when I look at it, and I saw what David Stern did, and he said, "We're now going from marketing teams to marketing people." Just think how subtle that was. And now you got Phil Knight saying, "Yeah, that's the way to go." The NBA paid Michael Jordan so much money they couldn't even pay him. He got the bulk of his income from Nike, becoming a partner with Phil Knight, and so. It was pure genius as I watched this play out and I said, oh my gosh, they're getting ready to. Do. They, they love Michael Jordan. you remember they did the Mars Blackman? Absolutely. The commercial with uh, Spike Lee and mm-hmm. two black guys on TV and having fun and making people laugh and 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 who's doing this? Nike. the swoosh. And I was like, oh man, this is this is some brilliant stuff going on here. So I thought that that was going to put the league in another position. Although Michael was not as successful as they wanted him to be right away, um, they could sustain themselves with what had transpired with uh, Jordan and with Bird. So they sustained it long enough for Michael to get to that cat-bird chair. And once that individual jersey, individual gym shoes, individual I was like, just these guys, this, this is marketing brilliance. This guy, David Stern, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. He never, he never was a favorite of mine, and I I'm, I'm probably was never a favorite of his, but the man was absolutely brilliant. And it made money for everyone. It sustained the Chicago Bulls. Think about this, guys. It sustained the Chicago Bulls long enough to keep Michael Jordan without having to worry about paying him. Because Phil Knight was paying him, Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, I think Michael made, what, 30 or 40 million his last year, 30 million his last year as the Bull, before he moved on to Washington and North Carolina, where other places he played. But I just, I I always thought that that was taking the uh, focus off of the teams and putting it on the players. And I'm a team guy. I mean, I came to the Syracuse Nationals winning the championships, the Boston Celtics, the St. Louis Hawks. You know, these were individual teams. I, you know, although they had Bob Pettit and Doll Shays and you know these great players, you still wore the jersey that said Hawks, or or or, or the Syracuse Nationals. You know, you didn't you didn't wear Doll Shays' jersey. You didn't wear Bob Pettit's jersey. You didn't wear Elgin Baylor's jersey. You didn't wear Will Chamberlain's jersey. And the guy that changed all that around was David Stern. So the, the NBA ran brilliantly, in my opinion, because they brought people to the table. And they just did, I know while we were, since we've been off for the few weeks that we've been off, well, I was off, uh, the, for the few <laughs> weeks, I, think about it. The NBA gave $25 million to the ABA, to 114 players. Now, a lot of people are kind of, well, it should have been sooner. That's true. Uh, It could have been more. That's true. But think about it. First, they sat down at the table together, as we talked about last time. Prior to this conversation, the NBA is good for bringing people to the table. I love it. So, Coach, uh, I hate to
2: ask you the loaded question, but, you know, we see salaries going up every year. The salary cap is going yeah. up every year there's more wealth being spread around TV contracts cable contracts merchandising what what worries you how does what concerns you about the explosion
3: yeah. of- as a guy who grew up with no money i have no problems <laughs> <laughs> bring it on you know this is uh, this is uh, I, I, if this is the america that i want it to be Free enterprise is what we're supposed to be all about, and you you can you can only take water from the well if water's there. These are smart guys that run this stuff. I think they would know how to turn the faucet off if if need be, uh, because we suffered greatly. I want to say late sixties, early seventies, financially, but we never went out of business. So I think I think uh, I trust. In management, I think in people, I trust in people managing money. I, I really do. And I've seen that exist in the NBA.
1: And, you know, and you raise an interesting point because just switch the switch gears. You know, a young man in Washington, D.C. who plays baseball just turned down four hundred right? and forty million dollars. Right. And the backlash could be the fans saying, well, they're going to give him all this money, going to raise ticket prices. They don't necessarily have to raise ticket prices because all the money is coming from television and social media and, and, and they don't, they don't, the fans technically are not going to pay these exorbitant salaries. Isn't that correct? That's
3: correct. I, I, a long time ago, someone told me, I, I don't, re, I wish I remembered who they said, Ray, the game you're watching today in the stadium in Cobol Hall, or in the garden, I'll use the garden because the garden, they're the most efficient people running sports around. The game is not going to be played. Ray, the time is going to come. The game is not going to be for the spectators. for the, the spectators. They can have 10 people in the studio, and they did, if you recall, with the bubble.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: They had no people in the stands, and people were still tuning in to watch the Lakers win the championship. Mm-hmm. He said to me that it's going to be a televised game for everyone's living room. People won't have to travel. They won't have to leave their families. They won't have to drag their children around to a seven and eight o'clock game and get them in bed for school tomorrow. The game is going to be played in your living room. And, and gentlemen, Mike, to, to
2: your point, you uh, it was in the news today, the Red Sox signed a, a crazy deal to have a patch of a company on, on their uniforms, right? Mm-hmm. So the fans, not they may end up paying more for a hot dog, but they're not paying more for the hot dog. The company that's, that's willing to pay for that patch to show up yeah. on their uniform is going to pay through the lungs to have that done.
3: Right. Well, between, and remember, the ownership owns the parking, the ownership owns the hot dog, you know, so what they can do corporately, what they can get away with, they will. But I, like I said, I believe they will know when to turn it off and say, you know, this is we've taken this one down the road and we we have to go out and find that David Stern. We need that guy that's be, going to be able to speak to where we are financially. But I, I from what I've seen, particularly in the NBA, particularly in football. And baseball has stayed the course. Baseball is older than everybody. And look at them. You know, they they may not be the number one sport as they used to be anymore in baseball, but they haven't lost a lot of status.
1: no. no well, to your point, Dom and I will be at City Field tomorrow night to watch the Mets and the Yankees. So so coach, I regret to tell you we are out of time again. Again. Oh, jeez. <laughs> So we'll have to make you a
3: co-host at some point. Well, I'll, I, gentlemen, you got me. All you, you're just a phone call away. It's well, something I love doing. I love being, sharing the time with you. I love your questions. And uh, so far, you haven't asked me anything yet that I can't answer where I'd have to say to Lisa, don't, don't, don't get me uh, on those guys. They ask
1: me Coach, too
2: love, love your stories and mostly love your wisdom. So thank you and God bless. Once
1: again, the book is the NBA in black and white. The memoir of a trailblazing NBA player and coach is available at Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all the other places you buy books and coach. We love you. And we can't thank you enough. Thank you, my friends. Have a great day, coach. Have a good night, coach. We'll be Be right back.
3: The business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice America business network small businesses are in trouble and it didn't just start with COVID 19 from the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back tune in to business buzz and business watch it's two shows in one hosted by frank hellring We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. The latest business information
4: is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics. Strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America Business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer
3: up to date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report.
1: All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with Dominic Tavello with a quick wrap-up. And you know, Dom, in talking to Coach, it just it dawned upon me when when you and I were kids, attendance at a sporting event was really super important. Right? That's how the owners yeah,
2: those tickets paid most of the bills.
1: Paid most of the bills. Not only the players, but the concessionaires, you know, the ticket takers, everything. You you would you would see, they would tell you what, what the attendance is around the league. You don't even hear about that any, anymore. It's almost as if the attendance is answering. Ancillary income.
2: Uh, Yeah, Mike. And the fact of the matter is, television changed everything. And then cable television, where a lot of these teams own their own network. So they control the advertising and the revenue stream from that. Uh, That's changed the dynamics. And that's where the players just said, hey, wait a minute, guys, you got to share some of this pot. You got to divide it up a little bit fairer because we're, we're the product right? The players are the product. And I think all the major leagues have done a a pretty decent job of of making that point and getting paid. I don't know what the word fair means, but getting paid a bigger piece of the pie.
1: And fans are resilient because now this season, Dom, you know, used to, if you wanted to watch the Yankees, it was either yes, 80% of the time and PIX, the other percent. And the same thing with, with the Mets, you would go to SNY or channel 11 or PIX, now, sometimes you got to go looking for the game. Is it on Peacock? Is it on Hulu? Is it on Apple TV? Is it on YouTube? Everyone has got a piece of this pie now.
2: Because they're selling off pieces of the pie, Mike. And that I think, as a fan, where it does get frustrating, because if you don't own one of those other outlets, you're not getting to see your team. Right. So if you're not willing to pay for the cable channel, you're not seeing your team. So I think this is where the fans are starting and, 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 and have a right to be frustrated. And both you and I have gone days where we couldn't see our team play. And You're like, wait, wait a minute. You know, I've been a fan for 30 years, but um, it's all about the revenue stream. And if they can carve off a Thursday night game or they can carve off a weekend game and get paid extra income, That, listen, it's a business. Let's not kid ourselves. It's a business.
1: Don, people will eventually pay. 50 years ago, if I told you you would have to pay for water, you would think I was out of my mind. 25 years ago, if I told you you'd have to pay to listen to the radio, you would think I'm out of my mind. Now, people, you know, pony up money for XM or satellite radio. It's just okay. That's I'm going to pay my seven bucks, and that's what I'm a month or whatever it is, and that's what I'm going to do. So they'll pay. They'll find a way. Cause they always do to pay for their entertainment
2: or justify it, right, Mike? And I, I hate to use the comparison, but the soccer leagues in Europe. They're in that model today, right? If you want to watch a soccer game, there's no such thing as public TV anymore where your team is watching, your team is playing. So um, it's the business model of today, and this is why the teams are worth so much and why players, and you and I both agreed on this, are entitled to every nickel that they get paid because they are the show. They yeah. are the entertainment.
1: And and by the way, there's been a form of streaming around for a while. You know, I as you know, as many of our listeners know, I'm a, you know, ardent Minnesota Viking fan, which it's not easy. And, and, and to add in insult to injury, I've been paying for DirecTV's NFL package for 22 years, right? And I'm happy to do it every season. Um, I'll, I will reserve
2: comment on that. You've been a sort of Viking fan, but but if I can get a, a Sunday afternoon football game on regular TV, I'm happy to see it.
1: Exactly. But since I don't have that luxury, if I had to pay up, I pay up. Thank God, God. I
2: can't. And it's not, it's money well spent.
1: Exactly. It's a, Dom, it's a form of entertainment and that's the point. And the owners and the networks know that. I mean, that really is, is the bottom line. So Dominic, on a personal note, I want to congratulate you. Your son Michael um, had a baby girl. Well, his wife had a baby girl today. Sam had a baby girl. So mazel tov to all the Tavelas.
2: Truly uh, a blessed day, and this is one of those where where you get it gets your ducks lined up uh, and your your feet on the ground that this is what's important in life. And we were very blessed today. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Congratulations and mazel tov to the family. And uh, on that note, we are out of time, my friend. I'll see you next week, Mike. Have a great night, everybody.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Leventhal Report. Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman will be back for our next program airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.